they will regulated militia be necessary to the security of a free state? The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. Good to have you with us on the program today. We're going to be taking a look at the uh, Supreme Court, which on Monday turned away a uh, challenge dealing with a felon in possession case. Yeah, and this is uh, likely the last opportunity that the court is going to have in 2020 uh, to accept a case dealing with the right to keep and bear arms. Although, as we'll talk about, there are uh, several cases that are on tap and in the queue uh, for early 2021 that the uh, court could hear. Uh, the the case today that the uh, court rejected uh, was a case called Torres versus United States. And this was uh, heard in conference on Friday. Uh, Israel Torres is the uh, gentleman's name. He was convicted of two DUI offenses, uh, felony-level DUI offenses in Arizona, one in 2003, the other in 2010. And then in 2017, his home was raided. Uh, Guns that he possessed were seized because he is a convicted felon and ineligible to own a firearm legally for the rest of his life uh, unless he can somehow have his rights restored. So that's what he was seeking to do here with this challenge. Uh, the Supreme Court turned this case away without comment, so we did not get a dissent from Justice Amy Coney Barrett uh, or Justice Brett Kavanaugh, both of whom have expressed in the past uh, their belief that a felony conviction should not automatically result in a lifetime deprivation of your Second Amendment rights. So what's going on here? I mean, the court, you know, again, on paper anyway, uh, it would appear as if the court has enough justices now that, you know, Second Amendment cases are going to be heard on a, a regular basis with the addition of Amy Coney Barrett. So why didn't that happen? Uh, again, the justices consider this case on Friday and basically by Monday. I mean, it didn't take much time at all, but uh, by Monday they had already determined uh, this was not going to be a case that they were going to hear. So we don't know because, again, there was no written dissent as to why exactly uh, the court decided, all right, you know what, this is not a case that, uh, that we are going to take. Uh, but it may have to do with the type of crimes that uh, Israel Torres was convicted of. Remember, Amy Coney Barrett, when she was an appellate judge in a case called Cantor versus Barr, uh, talked about how the standard should be dangerousness. It, it shouldn't simply be whether or not you've been convicted of a felony, but whether or not you're actually a danger. And she said, based on the history and the tradition of the Second Amendment, that's clearly what the founders intended. Well, you know, you could argue that even under a dangerousness standard, that Israel Torres would be considered a dangerous person because he has multiple arrests and convictions for driving under the influence, right? That, that's the, honestly, I mean, to me, that's the most likely scenario as to why the Supreme Court decided to pass on this particular case, because they didn't really like the circumstances of this particular case. So the good news is that there are several other cases queued up, uh, awaiting the, the court in conference anyway, uh, that could come about in the next few weeks. All of these cases, by the way, deal with the same issue. They deal with prohibited persons. Um, we don't have any cases right now that are in the queue dealing with the right to carry, 
uh, dealing with so-called assault weapons bans, dealing with magazine bans. We've got, I, I take that back. We've got them in the queue, uh, but they have not yet reached the level of the Supreme Court, although uh, a couple of them could be getting there very quickly. The uh, Third Circuit, for instance, recently turned away a challenge to New Jersey's magazine ban. So uh, we're awaiting the Association of New Jersey Rifle and Pistol Clubs uh, to either appeal uh, that Third Circuit decision to the Supreme Court or take the loss, which uh, seems unlikely to me. So I would expect that that case is going to be appealed before the Supreme Court very soon. We also have Young versus Hawaii, which is before an en banc panel in the Ninth Circuit. Oral arguments were held back in September. We're awaiting that en banc decision. And depending on the results, that case could be going up to the Supreme Court in early 2021 as well. Uh, but uh, we're going to be talking about three cases that are um, at the level of Supreme Court review. Again, the Supreme Court has not agreed to take any of these three cases yet. They haven't had a chance to look at them. But there are three cases, all of which deal, again, with the issue of prohibited persons. Um, the first case that's actually been scheduled for conference on January 7th, 2021, is a case called Holloway versus Barr. Raymond Holloway was convicted of a nonviolent offense, nonviolent misdemeanor offense, back in 2005. Again, it was a DUI that Raymond Holloway was convicted of. Uh, this has been his only offense since 2005. And under state law, Mr. Holloway has not actually lost his Second Amendment rights. He's a resident of the state of Pennsylvania. And the misdemeanor DUI conviction does not prohibit him under state law from possessing a firearm, but it does, under federal law, prohibit him from owning a firearm ever again, basically. The Firearms Policy Coalition is involved in this case. Uh, they write in their uh, 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 petition for cert that uh, because Heller deemed felon disarmament laws, quote, presumptively lawful, many lower courts have held that felon bans cannot be challenged, even by misdemeanors affected by such bans. Courts that allow challenges are unclear about how a challenge may be successful. While these courts agree that challengers must distinguish themselves from the historically barred class, they disagree over who was historically barred. Some judges believe that only dangerous persons can be disarmed. Others believe that persons can be disarmed for lacking virtue. The uh, Firearms Policy Coalition writes, this case presents an excellent vehicle to clarify where and how, or whether and how, primitive persons can uh, bring successful as-applied challenges to laws forever denying their fundamental right to keep and bear arms. Mr. Holloway, subject to a lifetime ban uh, due to a 2005 misdemeanor conviction for driving under the influence, although he retained all firearm rights under state law, his conviction, again, falls within the scope of the federal felon ban. The attorneys for the Farmers Policy Coalition argue that Holloway is neither dangerous nor a felon, and his law-abiding history since 2005 conviction shows that he's completely rehabilitated. And that's why they're asking the court to grant certiori to restore Holloway's rights and resolve the widespread conflict between the lower courts. So again, January 7th, the court will take up this case in conference. They will consider not whether they want to grant cert in this case, and we could learn... Uh, well, on January the 10th, whether or not the court will agree to do so in Holloway versus Barr. The very next week, uh, scheduled for conference on January 15th, the court will consider another prohibited persons case called McGinnis versus United States. This one is um, being brought by a, a public defender 
So there are no Second Amendment uh, organizations involved in this particular case. The facts of this case, I have to tell you, also may make the court, if they do want to accept a case dealing with felon in possession charges, I don't know that this is going to be the case. The case of uh, Eric Gerard McGinnis versus the United States of America. Uh, and the uh, question posed in this particular case is uh, whether or not uh, an individual who was prohibited uh, by law from possessing a firearm uh, during a uh, protective order, while a protective order had been issued, whether or not that individual loses their Second Amendment rights entirely. Uh, in this particular case, I'll read you the, uh, the, the statements of, uh, of facts in this case. Uh, it was back in 2017, Eric McGinnis found in possession of an unregistered firearm and ammunition while subject to an active state protective order. The federal government indicted Mr. McGinnis on two charges. Uh, count one alleged that Mr. McGinnis possessed an unregistered short barrel rifle, which should have been registered under the National Firearms Act. Count two alleged that Mr. McGinnis possessed ammunition while under a domestic violence protective order, uh, which is also a violation of federal law. Uh, this case did go to trial, lasted two days. Government called 10 witnesses to testify. Defense counsel moved for a judgment of acquittal after the government rested its case, arguing that the evidence was insufficient to prove that McGinnis was aware of the characteristics of the firearm that the government considered to be a short-barreled rifle, and that the protective order's terms were insufficient to actually uh, uh, bar him from possessing a firearm while that protective order was in place. The uh, district court denied the motion, took the issues under advisement post-verdict. The uh, jury returned a guilty verdict on both counts. Uh, the uh, judge in the case then uh, denied that previous motion uh, to, uh, to throw out the case on the uh, count one, allowed additional briefing on count two, which was the possession of a firearm under a protective order. Uh, defense counsel wrote a brief in support of the motion of judgment for acquittal, raising several issues, but... The uh, district court did not agree, ultimately upholding McGinnis's conviction on both counts. And so now this case, again, has been appealed up to the uh, Supreme Court, where I, I would say of the three cases that we're talking about, that case, in my opinion, probably has the least likelihood of being granted cert by the Supreme Court, uh, simply because of the issues that are raised. Now, the third case is a case that we've talked about in recent weeks, it's a case out of the Third Circuit Court of Appeals. Uh, it involves a woman named Lisa Folishtar. Folishtar, I think is how you pronounce that name. Lisa Folishtar is also prohibited under federal law from owning a firearm. Ever. She was convicted of a nonviolent felony offense several years ago. Uh, her particular offense was basically filing a, a false tax return. That, that's, that's it. Again, no crime of violence or, or anything like that. And it was nearly a decade ago when Lisa Folishar pleaded guilty to willfully making a materially false statement on her tax returns. She was subject to, I believe it was just a little more than a year behind bars. Since then, she has, uh, you know, kept her nose clean. She's been on the straight, narrow path. Uh, and this is a case that Jonathan Turley, you remember, declared would be a perfect vehicle for Justice Amy Coney Barrett, uh, Brett Kavanaugh, and those inclined on the court uh, to revisit the issue of whether or not a felony conviction or even certain misdemeanor convictions uh, are automatically enough to strip you of your right to keep and bear arms 
for the rest of your life. The uh, Firearms Policy Coalition recently, uh, in fact, I I think this was so recent as to be, I think it was Friday, uh, when the uh, Firearms Policy uh, Coalition uh, filed the uh, Folshar case with the Supreme Court. They are asking the court to review this. So they filed a brief seeking a writ of certiorari uh, in Folshar versus Barr. Uh, As they write, the courts would never countenance an attempt by the government to permanently ban Ms. Folshar from exercising her fundamental rights of free speech and free exercise of religion merely because she at one time was convicted of a nonviolent felony. Yet, the Third Circuit held that the government can forever strip Ms. Folshar of her fundamental right to possess firearms for self-defense based on a one-time conviction of a tax offense. As the Third Circuit judge, Judge Bebus, explained in dissent, and as Justice Barrett has explained in a similar case when on the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals, such a punishment has no connection whatsoever to the historical justification for limiting the Second Amendment rights of certain individuals. Dangerousness. It therefore is unconstitutional, and we hope the Supreme Court agrees to hear this case and confirm that the government has no basis for depriving non-dangerous individuals of their Second Amendment rights. That was uh, David Thompson of the law firm Cooper and Kirk, uh, who recently argued uh, before the High Court for uh, petitioners in another case, case called uh, Collins versus Mnuchin, and uh, he is involved in this particular case as well. So that case again has just been filed seeking cert by the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court has not yet placed the Folgenar case on its conference docket. So the next two cases to come before the court in conference. Again, there's no this is where the court decides whether or not they're going to hear the case. Just before just because a case comes up in conference doesn't mean that the court's accepted a case. But we do have two that are coming up in conference in in really less than a month. Uh, one on January the 7th, one on January 15th. Of those two, I would say that Holloway versus Barr has the better shot. Uh, but it could be that uh, Folishar versus Barr uh, is going to be the vehicle that the court chooses uh, to wrestle with the issue of when somebody should face a lifetime prohibition on the right to keep and bear arms. And by the way, the court could agree to hear none of these cases. I mean, that is an option. Although I am still pretty confident that in 2021, the Supreme Court is going to accept a Second Amendment case. In fact, I I think it's quite likely they're going to accept more than one. Um, The things we don't know right now, again, are are, are what are these uh, justices who believe that the Second Amendment has been treated like a second-class right, what are they looking at in terms of cases that that they want to hear, cases that they believe they could uh, get five justices to go along with uh, in terms of upholding our right to keep and bear arms and striking down a gun control law or striking down a provision in state statute or federal statute. And that we don't know because, again, the Supreme Court is largely a leak-proof institution. Uh, we know just reading the tea leaves that uh, we do have justices like Justice Thomas, Justice Alito, Justice Kavanaugh, and Justice Gorsuch who've all said, hey, you know, the Supreme Court really does need to start taking some Second Amendment cases here because the lower courts are just running roughshod over what we've said in Heller and McDonald." Uh, we know that Amy Coney Barrett has a very strong view when it comes to uh, the individual right to keep and bear arms. So, uh, again, on paper and in theory, the court should be eager, at least at least five justices on the court should be eager uh, to take a Second Amendment case. It's just a matter of what the circumstances of that case might look like. 
And again, the uh, Fulgar case provides the court an opportunity to address the felon in possession issue without getting into whether or not a, a DUI conviction should actually be considered dangerous. They could leave that up to the lower courts to flesh out and uh, in, in future cases uh, while making a statement uh, about the, you know, nonviolent um, paperwork crimes that uh, Fulgar and, and going back to that uh, case, Cantor versus Barr, uh, Ricky Cantor were both convicted of. So there you go. No action from the court today, at least none that's great for gun owners. But uh, we do have a couple of cases in the pipeline. And as I said, we're also still watching the Ninth Circuit for Young versus Hawaii. Oral arguments held in that case, challenged to Hawaii's open carry ban uh, back in September. So the decision, the en banc decision of the Ninth Circuit, that could come down really at any time. Um, I would expect January or February would be the most likely uh, opportunities for the court to weigh in here. But, you know, I mean, and the court could take as long as they want. I mean, the court could sit on that decision for a year or more if they really wanted to. But I I suspect, given the make of that en banc panel, that uh, we'll see a decision relatively soon in Young versus Hawaii. And that will likely be the next Kerry case that will get to the Supreme Court. All right, let's turn our attention now to our good deed of the day, our recidivist report, our uh, armed citizen story. We'll start with our recidivist report. Story out of Nashville, Tennessee. You may remember this. Caitlin Kaufman, she's an ICU nurse who was shot and killed on her way into work, just seemingly at random. She was driving on the interstate when she was shot and killed. Well, an arrest has been made. And as it turns out, the suspect, well-known to police, although, again, they, they don't know of any connection between Caitlin Kaufman uh, and a 21-year-old Devonte Lewis Hill, who is now facing charges in Kaufman's death. At a news conference on Friday, Nashville Metro Police Chief John Drake said a concerned citizen came forward uh, on Thursday afternoon and identified Hill as a suspect. The concerned citizen also provided information about the whereabouts of the 9mm used in the murder. Shell casings from Hill's pistol were a 100% match, according to law enforcement, with three casings found at the scene of the murder. Police say they also traced his cell phone to the area that evening, and they say that in interviews, Hill actually did implicate himself uh, after he was arrested. WKRN in Nashville took a look at the previous criminal history of Hill, again, just 21 years of age. A juvenile record shows Hill convicted on three counts of attempted criminal homicide four years ago. In 2016, three counts of attempted murder in 2016. He was 16 years old at the time. According to police, Hill's grandmother and mother were trying to wake him up for school when he started firing a gun at him. He struck his grandmother, struck his 12-year-old sister, struck his six-year-old nephew. He was taken by the Department of uh, Children's Services, and he returned home the next year. Two months After Hill was returned home, he was arrested for aggravated robbery and he was returned to DCS custody until his 19th birthday. And then he was let loose. Yeah, that was it. That was all the punishment he received for shooting his grandmother, sister, and nephew, as well as an aggravated robbery. In uh, 2018, he was arrested for drug possession. Earlier this year, Hill was charged with assault with bodily injury. That was back in January. He's arrested on driving on a suspended license back in August. And again, now, first-degree murder charges for the uh, 21-year-old who was accused of killing ICU nurse Caitlin 
Kaufman, Devontae Lewis Hill is uh, today's recidivist report. Our armed citizen story of the day from the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia, PA, where an armed robbery apparently stopped by an armed citizen in the nice town neighborhood. This was uh, Saturday night, about 1030 in the evening, according to police. They say that the uh, alleged victim was at a gas station. Um, actually, they were the buddy. One of the two went into a convenience store. The other remained outside. And it was then, authorities say, that two men pulled up in a dark SUV and attempted a carjacking. The man who was inside the store came outside, saw the two men, and began to fire a gun. Two men with the dark SUV reportedly turned fire. One of the two men was hit once in the chest. That man transported by police to Temple University Hospital, where he was pronounced deceased a short time after he got there. Investigators say the other suspect then fled the scene in that SUV. The man who saw the attempted carjacking and fired a weapon was said to be a concealed carry holder. The investigation is ongoing. He's not facing any arrest at this point anyway, uh, which is good news. Although given the treatment that the uh, Philadelphia police has given those who are applying for a concealed carry license, they uh, you know just put a stop to accepting applications until last week when they agreed to, uh, to resume processing concealed carry applications. I, I, I'm going to look for a follow-up on this story because, uh, you know, look, in no jurisdiction does being a concealed carry holder indemnify you uh, from facing consequences when you break the law. But in jurisdictions like Philadelphia, I'm, even when you're acting in self-defense, I got to tell you, I'd be a little concerned about the uh, charges that you might be facing. So we'll keep our eyes on that story. Uh, finally today, our good deed of the day this is, a, uh, this is a great story from Joplin, Missouri, where a local food truck is helping with, I'm sorry, Webb City, Missouri, near Joplin. Food truck in Webb City, Missouri, is helping to raise funds for a, a police officer who has been uh, stricken with COVID and has been off the job for several weeks. Ghetto Tacos. Held a fundraiser there in Webb City, donated all food sales to police officer Nick Linder and his family of five. He was diagnosed with coronavirus nearly a month ago, but he recently developed pneumonia, which means that he is going to be out of work for at least a few more weeks. His uh, wife, Jessica, said it's really great to see the community come out and for Ghetto Tacos to offer a fundraiser for our family during Christmas time and during a time when he's off work. It's been overwhelming, and we are very humbled and very grateful. So all proceeds from the food truck on Saturday, every penny of profit from the food truck on Saturday went to Officer Linder's family. Help them pay off medical bills, hopefully help get a present or two under the tree for Officer Linder and Jessica Linder's kids. So in the right place, at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing, the uh, owners and operators of Ghetto Tacos, they're in the uh, Joplin, Missouri, Webb City, Missouri area. We thank you. For your very, very good deed. That is all the time we've got for you on this edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. I want to thank you for being a part of the program as always. Don't forget now we are not only on YouTube where you can find us, just look for Town Hall Media, but you can look up Bearing Arms Cam and Company on Rumble as well and you will find us there. Or if you're looking for a podcast, you can find us at Amazon Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Whew, probably some more as well, but I ran out of breath there. 
Have yourself a fantastic rest of your Monday. We'll be back uh, tomorrow with more of the latest Second Amendment news and information from all across the nation. Until then, be well, be safe, and be free. <laughs>